right, please turn with me. We'll be reading from Mark chapter 14, verse 66 to 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself, and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So the denial of Jesus by Peter is quite a familiar portion of scripture. And it's usually one of the events that we remember as we think upon the circumstances that lead up or that led up to Jesus' crucifixion. So each of the Gospels record this event, showcasing that, it, that this is possibly an important event that took place, and we as believers ought to think soberly upon it. So here are a few background points that would aid us in understanding why Mark sought to record this event. So we need to remember that Mark is writing to predominantly a Gentile church, as mentioned in previous introductions, and this church is living under persecution. However, it needs to be said that this is not the reason that Mark seeks to point out the events of Peter's denial of Jesus. Mark records this portion of scripture because he is writing to fallen, broken sinners who have trusted in Jesus and are seeking to live in a manner pleasing to God and not necessarily because of the threat of persecution. So Peter's denial of Jesus commences from verse 27 with Jesus calling out the falling away that will take place. And he records uh, a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 and just paraphrasing it was basically this. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. It was only after this that Peter seeks to single out himself and respond in verse 29 by saying that even if they fall away, he will not. Yet, this is not what takes place. Peter does not stand firm. Jesus' words were true. And as you would say in Beijing, so said, so done. The disciples did exactly as Jesus said. They fled and they left their brother when the soldiers came for Jesus. Peter, however, stayed and in his own strength, sought to actually protect Jesus by cutting off the ear of a soldier, as we see in verse 47. Yet, we see Peter, like the other disciples in verse 66, 
fallen away as he denies Jesus. Peter denies Jesus as he is merely a stone throw away from him, as he is below Jesus and his accusers as he is in the courtyard. So notice that despite being in the courtyard, Peter is not necessarily in danger because it was merely a servant girl who asked him if he was not with Jesus of Nazareth. Fear filled the heart as he denied Jesus and decided not to be counted as one of Jesus' disciples in that very moment. So this brings us to the first point. There are, there are no strong men. And when I say strong men, I also mean women. Alright? When Peter stated that he was not with Jesus to the point where he cursed and sweared, he seemed to forget his sweet fellowship that he had with Jesus over the years. So we should remember that it was Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 verse 14 who healed Peter's mother-in-law. It was Jesus who enabled Peter to walk on water and after Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink, it was Jesus who saved him. That in Matthew chapter 16, we see that Peter is one of the beloved friends on which the church would be established. There are many instances in the Gospels as well as other recollections in the books by Peter where we see Jesus' cure for his disciples, his cure for Peter. So yet, despite this cure that Jesus showed Peter, in his time of need, Jesus' disciples, they fled. And this would include Peter, for he, we saw that he also denied Jesus. So this is why Mark sought to record this event. Not because the early church was under persecution by Nero, but because, like Peter, they were mere men who were prone to wonder. They were capable of denying the Jesus that they knew. This is true for the disciples, it was true for Peter, it was true for the early church, and it could possibly be true for us living in the 21st century. So Peter's boast was in himself, that he was also unique, also different from the other disciples, that if they fell away, he would not. If they did not claim that Jesus was their Lord, he would have never done that. And if they went after other lords, he would have stayed firm. So how often is this our boast? We believe that we would never do such a sinful action that someone else has done. Or that we are so much more wiser, or have so much more control and discipline. That we would never fall to sin. Such a boast is a boast in ourselves. For we are weak creatures, and apart from the grace of God, there go us. Our boast in ourselves as believers is due to us thinking ourselves stronger than we actually are. It is due to us forgetting the grace of God, that is the grace of God that picked us up out of the Mary Claire, picked us up out of the mud, and gave us a righteousness that we ourselves did not earn. So we look in the scripture and we might think that we see many great men of God. So we look at Moses and we think about how Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. We see Joseph and we see how he persevered when he was in prison. 
And David, how he was able to conquer so many lands, and even King Joseph, one of the great reformers. Yet, the Holy Spirit ensures that we also see these strengths, but also the weaknesses of these men. When these men did well, they were not clinging to their knowledge or their strength, but to God. Therefore, when we see that we overcome sin or we flee from temptation, is not because we are also strong, but it's due to God's grace working in us. So this means that our boast should not be in ourselves, or we shouldn't say if other church members fall to this particular sin, whether it is adultery, whether it is lying or stealing, that we would never fall, oh, we are so strong, but our boast should always be in the Lord. So these are the words that Paul reminded the church at Corinth as he quoted Jeremiah saying, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we do it well, our boast should be in the Lord alone. So this leads me to the second point, which is be gentle with fallen brothers, our church members. Understanding that our boast is in and on the Lord, that we are weak and frail and prone to wonder and fall to sin, should aid us in being gentle when brothers or sisters fall to sin and give us hope of their restoration. Jesus told Peter of his sin in the Gospel of Luke, and that's clear, pointing out the sin that could possibly take place. Yet he prayed and enabled him to be restored that he may strengthen his brothers. And we see that in the Gospel of Luke. Like Jesus, we do not have foreknowledge. We are not sovereign. But we could possibly see the probability is high that if certain thing that certain things will happen if this course of action takes place in a particular brother or sister's life. For example, parents warn their children over and over again not to jump or run or do some action that will cause them harm. And eventually, the child, the child eventually falls down. And we look at them and we say, well, I told you so. Yet, we pick them up, we kiss them, we comfort them, and let them know that it will be okay because we care. Similarly, we see that the son knows that his disciples will flee. He warns them, yet the falls take place, but the love for his disciples remains the same. So this indeed is the type of love that we should have for our brothers and sisters when they fall into sin that we possibly saw coming, or even sin that we warned them of. A believer's heart should see, or should want to see, that their brother or sister be restored and turn away from sin. The humility of believers in a local church and their approach towards sin and human weakness can encourage a believer who has fallen in sin to remain in the faith and submit to the authority of a local church. It is a healthy thing for our church to understand that we are no longer enslaved to sin, that sin no longer reigns in our mortal bodies, yet also to understand that progressive sanctification is indeed a process. Although saved, we are weak and frail and can wonder. 
believers in a local church proclaiming a false sense of strength can lead a believer in thinking something is wrong with me for these guys are so solid and strong. I am at work and I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with seeking to not steal or not to lie, right? But I can't share this with anyone else because everyone seems so strong and so solid. I seem to be the only one who is dealing with this particular temptation. But being transparent with brothers and sisters about sin struggles as you pray and watch over each other's souls is a believer in actually confessing their sins. It is them in being transparent. Sometimes believers can think that they are alone and they alone are struggling with sin. When there are others within their local church family who are also struggling that they can walk with. Peter's weakness could have been shared with his brothers in allowing them to see he also was weak and their weakness could have been prayed for. As Jesus instructed them, actually in verse 38, watch and pray that they may not enter temptation. So this leads me to the third point. Only weak believers confess sin. A believer who boasts in his strength his wisdom, his knowledge, his discipline, his self-control over sin rarely confesses his sin to others and to God. If he really confesses, then that means he also will really turn from sin. There will always be an excuse for his actions, but it will never be due to his weakness for sin. Peter in Mark chapter 14 verse 72, as we read, is seen weeping after the rooster crows. The words of Jesus were true. Peter indeed was weak and denied his relationship with Jesus. Yet, Peter, at the realization that of what he had done, what that he had just denied his brother, he wept. To weep does not necessarily mean that someone has felt sorrowful or that they... To weep does not necessarily mean that someone has felt sorrowful over the sin that has taken place. Children do an action or punish, cry, and then they do it again. Right? The parents would, would definitely know this. Yet, weeping can be an evidence of sorrow towards sin that has taken place. Peter weeping showcased a grief to his heart that he had denied his relationship with God. I would also add that we see other factors after his life that show that he had actually turned from his sin. For we see that Peter is named as one of the apostles and he goes forth proclaiming the gospel afterwards. Peter, at this moment of grief, understood that he was weak and that he had just fallen to sin. When we draw our pride and our boast in ourselves, we see our weakness and are usually more likely to confess our sins to God and members of our local church. Understanding that we are weak is a helpful understanding to our walk with the Lord. So this passage is indeed helpful for our believers, but is also helpful for unbelievers as they examine themselves. 
Many fail to recognize their need for Jesus, their need for a savior, because they believe that they are strong. They believe they are good. They are murdering persons. They are raping uh, women and children and men. So they believe that they are good. So like the rich young ruler that we looked at a while ago in the Gospel of Mark, they have a superficial view of what sin is and what it looks like. Like the young ruler, without much in-depth thought of sin, you say, I have kept the commandments from young. I'm good. Before realizing, you haven't. That your actions or your thoughts showcase that you are indeed a sinner. That like Hitler, you deserve punishment for the sins that you have committed against God. You have lied, you have stolen, you have committed fornication, and unlike Peter, you actually don't know Jesus. You have never a day in your life submitted to Jesus' authority over your life. I would encourage you to repent. And repent means to change one's mind about Jesus. Examine the scripture so that it could lead you to have a change of mind about, about the false views that you might have of Jesus. Whether it be that Jesus to you is just a mere man, he's a political figure, a revolutionary, and believe that Jesus is God in the flesh and the only one who can save you from your sin. But being aware of your sin and that you need a savior, it should lead you to the feet of Jesus. Like Peter in verse 72, you should indeed turn away from your sin and repent and believe the gospel. You indeed need to repent of your sins and understand the state that you are currently in.